When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Duck boats ready. Get the duck boats ready. After 39 long years, the cup is back home. The Bruins are 2011 Stanley Cup champions. Welcome to episode 5 of Bruins Beat. It is the week of November 21st, and we welcome everyone back. We have a jam-packed show today. We have a lot to discuss. There's a lot of news that developed over this past week, obviously with the Jekyll and Hyde nature of the Bruins, as we've been discussing all season long, Jason. So, a um, lot, lot to get to. So, I want to start off by talking about Claude Julian. And I know we're going to get into the breakdowns of the games later. We usually do that in the second segment of the show, but... Claude Julian, after the Sharks game, was really animated. He had a very heated press conference, and he called out the team, saying like that people weren't trying as hard. It was just very, very passionate, and that you don't really see that from Claude Julian. Claude Julian's usually a level-headed guy, but he was like really fired up, and that bring, that makes me wonder. He called out the players, like I said. Is he on the hot seat though? This seems like the same exact team from the Bruins last year, where. One game, they're playing really well. They look like the best team in the league. And the next game, it's like, what the hell happened to this team overnight? And I'm wondering if the players just aren't responding to Julian anymore. You know, I wonder the same thing. You know, you're right. You mentioned that. And you're specifically, you know, as usually you can go back to Rask and say this because I still think that as much as people are going to disagree with me, your leadership starts with your goaltending. You need that goaltender that's going to be vocal. We discussed this all last week. We got heated about it last week, how Tim Thomas was a different kind of leader. And now you're seeing the team, and you've noticed it in the last game with Gustafson on the ice, and really in the way that the team plays and the fact that they respond when Gustafson's on the ice. It's something that you really got to pay attention to. Yeah, and he was, Claude Julien was very heated. So I'm very intrigued to see how this plays out with Claude Julien. He came into the year on the hot seat. He came into the year without even being that no one even knew if he was going to be the coach when the summer first started. Once they got rid of Peter Shirelli, everyone was like, oh, it's only a matter of time before they get rid of Claude Julian as well. He started off the coaching year 0-3. He got asked if he, was, if he thought he was on the hot seat. He didn't even answer the question. This past week, he was very animated saying, I don't think the players are tuning me out, but people just aren't playing hard. They have lack of focus. And even Brad Marchand was saying, we can't be passengers. This is very eerily similar to last year's team where Marshall, where at the end of the season, Riley Smith and Dougie Hamilton were said to 
not be on board. There were people coasting. Where one game they were playing well, like I said, the next game it was like, what? Who is this team? You look like the worst team in the league. I'm just very intrigued to see what happens with Claude Julian going forward because if the Bruins don't make the playoffs or get their act together pretty soon, this has to be his last year, right? You have to look at it from this perspective. And you know what? I was listening to Felger and Maz at one point at the end of the show on Thursday. And they brought up a decent point about this. You know, if the Bruins were in last place going to the Winter Classic, who's going to go from the Bruins fans? We're going to have a sea of blue, black, and rouge in the Gillette Stadium. Do Bruins, does Bruins management really want that? And would that be the way to go? No. The Bruins management's going to be in a place where they have to make a decision that if we keep on seeing this Jekyll and Hyde hockey team, Throughout the month, the rest, the rest of the month of November and early December, do they get rid of Coach Julian now? Do they start making changes now, or do they wait? And how long do they wait? It's going to become an issue as the Winter Classic gets closer because the Winter Classic is a big game, and they want people to tune in, especially Bruins fans. Yeah, Bruins fans will definitely tune into that game. It was just a matter of if Bruins fans actually go because I don't think people will want to be interested in a team that's playing uninspired hockey. And we saw. Well, think. Look at it this way: the Bruins, the Bruins are a Jekyll and Hyde team. So do Bruins fans really want to watch the Bruins lose six to one to the Canadians until that stadium? That's what I'm saying. They'll, tu- they'll but, turn that game out in the second period if the score is three to one. Yeah, the, I, mean, I would. That's what I'm saying. They'll turn out. They'll they'll watch, but I don't think people will actually go to it. But people actually still might go to it though because of the experience. It's going to be probably a long time since from the from now that the Bruins host another win the Classic because this is their second time hosting it. But that's a discussion for a different day. I'm just very interested to see if Claude Julian will still be the coach by then because this is not like unforeign territory. This is not foreign territory from the Bruins, excuse me. They've been doing this since last year where they would go on a win streak, they'd go on a losing streak. They would win a game, they would lose a game. They would look great, they would look bad. Same thing this year. Start of the year, 0-3. Then all of a sudden, they have a six-game winning streak or a seven-game point streak. And it's like, oh, here we go. Bruins are back on it. And then here we go again. The Bruins start losing. It's like, what is what is going on? Like, why like why can't Claude Julian get them Bruins? I mean, and look, I know Claude Julian can only do so much as a coach, but this is not. Yeah, this is the second year in a row. This is happening. But you have to hold these veterans accountable. That Canadians game, we should have won that game. Krejci should have never gotten that penalty. And the same thing with that Sharks game. At the end of the game. Martian gets a penalty. These veteran players who should be disciplined, who should be able to hold their own, are making these dumb plays. Right, yeah, and I don't, I don't blame Claude Julian for that, and that's obviously out of his, his, his control because that should be something that the players should know. Like you said, that's Krejci and Martian, two of your longest-reigned players on this team. They should know better. They've been in the league for a while now. Get your act together. But what I'm, like, I'm just very – I just don't understand why Claude Julian cannot get this team motivated and focused. But no, it's funny, that Martian penalty was ridiculous. He's sitting there like, no, I didn't have a high stick when the stick sticking in the guy's ear hole. It's kind of funny, actually. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and I mean, that, that doesn't say that Julian's a bad coach. I think Claude Julian is a good coach. I just don't it's know. It's just that he can't get his players to respond. Right. I think he's been in, on the Bruins coaching staff for too long now. I think certain players are tuning him out. And I think it's just time to move on. Like, look, I like Claude Julian. I think he's not the problem. I'm not saying he's the problem. But sometimes I don't think that you can necessarily blame Claude Julian as a problem. What I'm going to say, and sorry to cut you off, is the fact that the Bruins, in the new style that they want to play, the new style that the management wants to play, and Claude Julian, that's a bad marriage. Julian has his style. So 
It should have been changed before the start of the season. If management really wanted to make the change, you got to let Julian go. you got to go for a different coach so that you can get a team that's going to respond to a different coach and a different style. Yeah, I agree. Julian's not going to change the way he plays. Why do you think Spooner was benched in the third period in that last game? Yeah, that's another thing I wanted to touch on. I'm glad you mentioned that. And Claude's not really – he hasn't really changed from before where he's playing the young players, where he's playing skilled guys. If you make a mistake, you're benched. Like, look, Spooner didn't have a good game the other night. He didn't. And But this is not the first time this year that Spooner's been benched where Claude's only not playing him in the third period down by a goal. Like, Claude, did you see his pass to Bergeron on the power play to, to get within one goal? Like, Spooner has immense talent. He knows how to play the game. He's very offensive. Yes, he's not good in the defensive zone. But, Claude, you're down a goal. You need to score. If the other team scores a goal when Spooner's on the ice, whatever. Because you're not going to win that game anyways because you're not playing the guys that know how to put the puck in the net. Kampainen's a great player. Very, very solid. Can do it all. Does Plays solid defense. Like, just an overall solid player. But he does not have the offensive abilities that Spooner has. You're down by a goal. You need to score. That's when you. So that's when Spooner should be playing. If you're up by a goal, I can see you benching him. But Claude Julian's not really changed. He's not really. He's played the same d- defense all the time. Colin Miller has been getting more ice time, and Trotman has been playing really well. So well, Colin Miller's getting ice time due to the luck of Kevin Miller being injured. But Colin Miller should have been out there all along. Yeah, exactly. And the and Colin Miller was ready to play, and then he kept Kevin Miller in the lineup. So. And Kevin Miller has played awful. Now, you see, this is where changes need to be made. And, um, you know, I said this from the very start, and I'm going to stick to it. The Bruins are going to be Jekyll and Hyde hockey team. They're going to go on the winning streaks, and then they're going to play awful. And I know a lot of people are not going to believe me. They're going to be like, okay, right now you're saying this too early. But so far along the way, I've been right. Yeah, absolutely. You have been. You've been saying that all year. You said they're a 500 hockey team, and right now they're a 500 hockey team. But... And we'll go into the previous for the new games, but with the schedule they have this week, you know what? They should go 4-0, but they probably won't. Yeah, exactly. So we'll get to that a little bit later on. But uh, I just think if the Bruins don't make the playoffs this year, Claude Julian will be gone. Like you just said, they changed their system. I don't think Claude Julian's meant to run this system. He hasn't really changed much. He's still benching the guys that he benched last year. It's just be interesting to see what goes on with Claude Julian from yeah. here on out. Because like you said, Jekyll and Hyde team. Interesting to see how that plays out with the coach. Yeah. Put it this way, if the Bruins do not make it to the playoff by Thanksgiving, and I can see them hanging on to him for the Winter Classic, but after that, he'll be gone by the trade deadline if the Bruins stay 500. Yeah, that, that could be. You're going you're gonna to hear people start saying it. You're going to hear it on the radios. We're not going to be the only ones talking about it, although we might be talking about it early, early. You, you've already started hearing the chirpings. They've been talked about for months. There's no way that the management's going to withstand the pressure. And this brings up another good point, too. Has management ruined this team? The past management, have they ruined this team? We'll talk about that a different day, obviously, because we'll have to wait to see how this year plays out. It's still early. A lot of speculation going on. But the, the next topic we're going to get to is Louis Erickson. Now, Louis Erickson was the main player in the Tyler Sagan trade that the Bruins got back. Louis Erickson was played really good in Dallas. He, had, he was putting up points. In Boston so far, he hasn't really worked out. He hasn't been really playing that well, like, been average, been on the third line. This year has been Louis Erickson's best year as a Bruin by far. But I always think it's interesting that he's having a good year this year. You want to know why, Jason? Because it's a contract year. He's going for his next contract. So obviously Louis Erickson is going to be playing well this year. And I get it. He's healthy. Last year he dealt with some concussions and stuff along 
And you dealt with concussions for two years. I can right. kind of understand that. I can understand that as well. But I'm, I'm not surprised. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a contract year. Everyone always plays well in contract years because you know why? They want to cash in and get the highest contract they can get. And look, I've never been the biggest Louis Erickson supporter. I don't think Louis Erickson's that good. He's just a, I think he's an average player that does, doesn't do anything particularly well. I mean, I shouldn't say he doesn't do anything particularly well. I should say he doesn't do anything particularly great. When you're giving up Sagan, you should get back someone that should do things try, that almost does the good things that Sagan does. And I think Erickson's not even close to Tyler Sagan. But we, as we talked about before in, a, in a past episodes, but this is one of the interesting things I think is happening with the Bruins team this year is Louis Erickson playing this well. They have plenty of options, like you said. And we've, we've talked about the Bruins maybe not even making the playoffs. If you don't make the playoffs, do you look to trade him? You sell. I mean... You sell. I think you should sell him Go too. for the assets. I think you can get a pretty decent haul for Louis Erickson at the trade deadline if you're not in the playoffs. And you have to sell. Um, there's a couple ways you can do it. So you sell, or if you don't sell, you try to resign him to a one-year contract, and you don't try to keep, and you play year to year based on how he plays. You force him to play consistent. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a I also think that a lot of NHL teams are dumb, and they won't do that, and they'll go for the contract right away and regret it. And at that point, he's not really going to be that big of a loss. Right, yeah, I was just going to say that. You just said... Some team's going to offer him an outrageous contract. Look what the Colorado Avalanche did with Carl Soderberg last year. And Louis Erickson's better than Carl Soderberg. And Carl Soderberg got five years from Colorado. Someone will offer Louis Erickson five years and probably like five and a half million, six million, because another team would be like, oh, wow, Louis Erickson, I want him on my team. And look, I get it. Some, some teams would want Louis Erickson on their team. But I think if you're not in the playoffs by the trade deadline, you have to trade him. But you know what I'm very scared about is Bruins management saying, look, we traded Tyler Sagan. We got Louis Erickson back. Matt Frazier's gone. Riley Smith's gone. We have to keep someone from that trade. And I feel like they're going to sign Erickson and overpay him. And if they do, I will be the first person to hammer Don Sweeney because this will be the same thing that Peter Shirelli did with the Bruins team. Signing veterans, players, and keeping guys that are already on the team that you don't need. You can replace Louis Erickson easily. Easily. Yeah, Frank Petrano when he gets healthy again. Yeah, you can easily replace him. Vitrano's played great in this team, so why would you keep Erickson over Vitrano, who's a much younger player who has more of an upside to him? Exactly. I mean, you have younger options. Like I said, he's, th- he's 30 years old. I don't want Louis Erickson for five years when he's 30 years old. I don't think Louis Erickson's going to be that good in three in three years or so. He's, ne- he's not really been a stud in the NHL anyways. He's been a, a good player. You know what, this is a good time to get into that discussion because it's, you're talking about really managing team and managing assets. And this is where a lot of these NHL teams that are playing off right now make these mistakes. They give the wrong players a high contracts. They're not really thinking year to year. Now, if you're managing a team and you have players that are in their 30s, you don't want to give them a five-year contract, maybe a one- or two-year contract at most. You want to, you might want to give them a little bit more pay right up front, but make them play for their, make them keep playing for their contract. Yeah, exactly. And... Um... So I think that's a very interesting thing to keep your eye on this year. Bruins fans is Louis Erickson. He's been playing really well this year. Probably one of the best Bruins, which I would not have guessed during earlier on in the season because, like I said, I'm not the biggest Louis Erickson fan. But uh, one of my buddies all the time texts me every time Louis scores and just says Louis, and because he knows I don't like him, it's just funny. But I think it's very thing to keep. I eye wouldn't necessarily. Um, you know what? I'm gonna kind of agree with your point there. I don't necessarily like Louis Erickson. I also can understand the concussion injury he had when he first joined the team from that Penguins game. I can remember a lot of that. I can remember what he had to do to get better. 
And I think, yes, he's finally coming around on his contract year. But then again, there's another reason why I wouldn't necessarily keep him because of the possibility of his health or if he gets if he, he's one hit away from being out for his career. That's the way that you have to think of it when you're managing a team. That is why Don Sweeney should be doing whatever he can to be getting, to be getting on the phone saying, you know what, Louis Erickson's up for grabs. If you want him, go get him. Give me something worth it for it. Yeah, so I think it's a good thing to keep an eye on. If the Bruins make the if the Bruins are in the playoff hunt and they are in the playoffs by the time the trade deadline comes and they have a spot pretty much locked up, I'm not saying completely locked up because anything can happen. But if they're in the playoffs at the trade deadline and they look like they're gonna make it, I hold on to Louis Erickson because he can help you in the playoffs. But if you're not However if you're not in the playoffs, you just dump him. You gotta get something for him. You can't just go to the end of the season, not make the playoffs, and just let him walk. Someone will give up you give up something productive for Louis Erickson. And I'm going to say this because this is a big week this week. You know, it's Thanksgiving week, and a lot of NHL teams judge their season based on this week, what, what their ranking is this week. And if you're going to judge the Bruins based on that, I'd still say the Bruins are out of the playoffs. Yeah, so that's good thing to keep an eye on Bruins fans, Louis Erickson debate there. What, what do the Bruins do with them? Um, feel free to... Chime in if you want, obviously, because that's going to be one of the hardest topics going into the trade deadline. And also, as you mentioned earlier, Frank Frank Vitrano. Frank Vitrano was injured the other night against Minnesota. Uh, so, yeah, he didn't skate in morning skate or practice yesterday. And they had Joe Morrow skating at forward. And I so when they had Joe Morrow skating at forward, I was like, oh, the Bruins didn't call anyone up. So that means Vitrano must just be sitting out practice and he'll be good to go for Saturday. But now, obviously, right before we started the show, we learned that Don Sweeney has called up Max Talbot, which I think that kind of is not a good, it's not good for the Bruins. That means Petrano is more injured than they thought, and he's obviously not going to play tonight. You know what? That is interesting because, you know, when we got the original reports, there were day to day, and still waiting for these reports to come out. But I do see Talbot playing today. I could see them giving Petrano a week of rest. And, you know, it might just be a. No shoulder strain, something simple as that. There's really no news on it. But saying day-to-day, you kind of have to go based on the fact that he's hurt enough where he can't play, but or but either that or they're just trying to let him rest and keep him rested and get him ready when he's really the out day to, the, so. the day-to-day thing scares me, though, because they also said that Pashnik was day-to-day, and we still have not seen Pashnik playing at all. He hasn't even been skating. So, but we haven't even heard about Pashnik. Exactly, so that's why I'm a little worried about Vitrano. Not that Vitrano has been, obviously Vitrano is not the best player on the team, but he's played well once he's played well since he's been here, and I think Vitrano is better than Talbot. So I think it's a good thing to keep an eye on for Bruins fans. Also, Vitrano, see where that goes. He's day to day as of right now, but look, as all signs point to him not being in the lineup tonight. See, I kind of wonder why they didn't call up another younger player like Austin Zarnick. Give him another shot on the ice. We'll get to Zarnick a little bit later on, but um, Zarnick is just recovered from an injury, so. That's why probably why Zanuck hasn't got called up. They probably just brought up Talbot because they want the veteran presence. So I'm just going to be very interested to see who they put on the line with David Krejci and Louie Erickson. So that's a good thing to keep an eye on is uh, morning, I mean, not morning, yeah, morning skate rushes and lines before the game. Because uh, that's a big thing, because Vitrano was playing with Erickson and Krejci all year. Ever since he got called up, that's the line has been on. No, exactly. So you're going to see who's going to get moved up onto that line. Um, I have to think about that for a few, but I'm not sure who will get called up at this point. Possibly Erickson. Well, Erickson's already with Krejci. I mean, called, so... up, called, up on the, called up on that 
first line. Yeah, but didn't you just said Erickson? Erickson's already been playing with Krejci. Oh, that's right. Sorry. <laughs> My bad. That's why I was, I, was, <laughs> I was confused there. I was like, I was like Erickson's already playing with him. I've, I've lost track of this since we lost Pasternak. I know I remember Pasternak being on it, but I should pay attention a little bit more. <laughs> no, it's okay. Everyone always has a mental lapse there and there, Jason. But speaking of injuries there, uh, we we talked we touched briefly on Kevin Miller earlier. Kevin Miller is out with an upper body injury, and they said he was out till at least Thanksgiving, correct? Correct. Four so, games. Uh, honestly, I, I, I don't wish injury upon anyone. I don't, and it's not a good thing to do. But Kevin Miller being out of this lineup is awesome for Bruins, for Bruins fans. Kevin Miller has been terrible this year. Claude Julian has continued to play Kevin Miller for some reason, and I don't know why. He had a costly turnover against Colorado to cost the Bruins the game. He doesn't have good points with the puck. He's not very good. He isn't. He is. He's not as young as people think he is. He's almost. I think he's 27, 28 years old, and he's not even making a million dollars. That should show you that Kevin Miller is not good. He should not be your number four defenseman. And you know what? Since Kevin Miller and Colin Miller both got hurt, Zach Chapman has come in and played tremendous. He's been playing with Chara every game. He's been logging a ton of minutes. I think Chapman should have been playing over Kevin Miller since day one. So when Kevin Miller comes back from his injury, I hope he doesn't play and they bench Trotman again, who's actually playing well, or bench Colin Miller, who's been playing well all season long for this bum, Kevin Miller. Get him off the team. You're going to see this, especially from a lot of the pink cats who say, hey, let's keep Kevin Miller because he's tougher because they, they're just pink cats and they like Kevin Miller. This, I'll go into Lucic later on this from Lauren's article. But what I do notice is that you get Chara and Sadenberg back. Chara's training Trotman. Sadenberg's going to be able to help with Miller. You don't need Kevin Miller. You don't need him. He's tradable. There's another asset you can get rid of. Keep no, building you these young guys. You don't like, need him. If, if Claude Julian puts Kevin Miller back in that lineup, this is this is where everyone's gonna say it, including us. We are gonna get ready to say we want Tra- Claude Julian out of here. We want this team to change. I'm ready for the change. I've been ready for this change since last year. I knew that there would be some growing pains with it. I knew that I wouldn't expect the Bruins to make the playoffs or to be the best as good as they were. You got to have a team that grows and gets that mentality, and you're getting a lot of that from players like Matt Bolesky and Jimmy Hayes. These newer players are coming in and giving this team energy. They're going to struggle. It's part of the game. But Claude Julian needs to change or he needs to go. Yeah, I just don't see how Kevin Miller can come back from being hurt and be, and be guaranteed a spot. He should not be guaranteed a spot. He shouldn't be in this lineup. Trotman has surpassed him, and Colin Miller has been playing well all season long. Kevin Miller should not be on this team. He should not be in the lineup. And, like, if like you just said, you have Chara with Trotman, and Trotman's been playing... Big minutes, penalty kill. And in the game situations, he's been playing all those minutes. And that's what Kevin Miller's for, too. And get, look, I get it. You have Seidenberg with Colin Miller, and you don't want Colin Miller exposed to a game with the goal lead out there with two minutes left. But look, you just have, hey, 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 hey Colin, take a shift off. You have McQuaid play with Seidenberg for that one shift. That's not the end of the world. McQuaid, McQuaid well, you can do it. You just brought up a great point, Mike, when you brought McQuaid's name in there, because I was just about to say this myself. You also have McQuaid and Krug, and McQuaid's actually pre- played for the contract he was given. He's played pretty well. I'm going to say that, and I'm going to defend it. McQuaid, we had, got that contract that a lot of people disagreed with, but you know he's managed to stay healthy, and he's played with a lot of fire. Yeah, he's played well. So you don't need Kevin Miller in the lineup. You don't. Kevin Miller and Adam McQuaid 
are similar type players. They both bring energy. They both are tough. They both play salt. Like they try and both play a defensive game. Kevin Miller, like I said, when he comes back from his injury, if he's playing, when he's when they when Claude Julian says he's healthy and he goes right back into the lineup, oh, I'm gonna hammer Claude Julian for that because Colin Miller and Trotman have been playing well, and Kevin Miller should have to earn the opportunity to play again. We'll discuss this more later because you're gonna really see where this discussion is gonna take us, and I'm gonna keep everybody hanging on it, but. If Kevin Miller comes back, you're going to see really a big change from the way people start thinking towards Claude Julian. You're going to yeah. see Claude, because it's really going to prove that Claude Julian's really not that willing to change. Absolutely. So um, so now, obviously, we've been saying that the Bruins have been Jekyll and Hyde all year. And if people disagree with us, they're out of their minds, because that's exactly what they have. And this week just proved our point even more. So the Bruins start off this week by playing Detroit. The Bruins just lost to Colorado at home. They were falling to 1-6-2 and two at the time. So finally, finally, the Bruins get another home victory against Detroit. And Detroit got Pavel Datsuk back, which we talked about last week. Divisional foe. This is a good win for the Bruins. Tukarask played really well this game. This is an overall solid win for the Bruins. I'm going to disagree. I'm going to say it's an unimpressive win. Yeah, they have some good numbers against Detroit, and it was a decent game. But I'm not that impressed because Detroit's still rebuilding as well. And Pablo Datsuk just came back, and he's not going to come back and be the same player. And sure, you know what, Rask got the win, big whoop. It's not that impressive. Detroit's still young. Detroit's still young, yeah. They have a lot of young players, but they also have a lot of veterans. They've been in the playoff. They have a, they've been in the playoffs for the past 20 years for a reason. Detroit knows how to win big games. They know how to play. They have solid veterans. They have solid young guys. I think it was a good win. And you might disagree with me there, but you know what? That's what... It's good about sports. Not everyone agrees with every topic. That's why everyone always has heated debates. But I think it was a good win. The Bruins needed another win at home. And maybe it wasn't the most exciting fashion that they got it done. But they scored three goals. They went up 3 nothing. And look, before, when the Bruins have a two-goal lead, they've always blown it. So the, for the Bruins to finally get a third goal and have a few, huge sigh of relief in me in particular, because I was like, whew, thank God, there's the third goal. They can't blow a two-goal lead. So I was pretty impressed with the Bruins that game. True. But then again, you have Rask playing against a relatively easier team, and people are going to say, oh, my God, Rask is God because he gave up one goal that game. And then you tune into the Sharks game, and we'll discuss that in a second. But, yeah, I mean, I just thought the Detroit game was a good game for the Bruins. They needed to showcase Let me Let me say that the Bruins players that were not named Rask played a good game. Yeah, I just thought the Bruins needed to show the fans something. They needed to show management something. They can battle back from a tough loss. They needed to get their act together at home. And I thought that was just a good win. And then, obviously, after the Detroit game, the Bruins playing the Sharks. Joe Thornton was coming back into town. Everyone was pretty excited about the game. The Bruins finally looked, looked like they turned the corner with the win at home. They were like, okay, here we go. Let's win another game here, Bruins. Let's, we have a five-game homestand. Let's, let's empower our will at home. And holy smokes, this game was so maddening as a Bruins fan. I wanted to bang my head off a wall watching this game. This game made me so mad. I did a recap for this game for CLNS Radio, and I had to do. I had to wait until Wednesday to do it. I usually do it after the game on Tuesday night, but I was so angry at this Bruins team, I had to wait because there was just no excuse for this game. This game was horrible. Right from the puck drop, the Sharks scored 42 seconds in. 42 seconds, Pavelski scored. The Bruins were already down one nothing, and I'm like, okay, here we go. Here comes the Hyde Bruins team because they don't know how to. They, they win one game and then all of a sudden they're going to lose the next game. Oh, this game was 
maddening. Absolutely maddening. You know what? And I missed that first goal because I was just getting home from work. But I watched this game in the first period and watched how Boston came back, took that 2-1 lead, and said to myself, okay, maybe we have a chance. I was only teasing myself for that one because I knew that they would give up the lead relatively quickly, which they did in the first period. And you can just see it. You can see it in the lack of enthusiasm. And this is where I'm really, where it really proves the point that as much as some people might like Rask, that Rask really isn't making himself look good. Yeah, the defense is struggling, but you got to make those saves. You just not. Yeah, and this was just an uncharacteristic game for the Bruins. Bergeron and Shara were both out there for four goals against. If you, if someone could tell me when's the last time that happened, I, I would love to hear it because I don't think it's ever happened before. They were both out there for four goals against. Bergeron's usually the best defensive forward in the league, and the Sharks' top line of Joe Thornton, Joe Pavelski, and Carlson was absolutely dominant against the Bruins. They each had, I think, three points. If they just empowered their will against Chara, against Bergeron, they were just they were the dominant. They had no Bruins had no answer for them. Pavelski scored the first shift, the first shift into the game, and then Pavelski almost made it two nothing after he walked around Chara. Joe Thornton made a beautiful pass to Carlson in the second period. It was like the, it was like when Thornton and Pavelski and Carlson got out there, the Bruins were just like, "Oh crap! Oh crap! We have no answer. What are we gonna do?" And they just it was just embarrassing. And like you said, Tuka Rask, not, again, not fair for the Bruins, doesn't make any saves at all. And look, I get it. The Sharks played a lot better than the Bruins as a whole. The Bruins, the Bruins as a team, I'm including the team in this one as well, not just Rask, did not play a good game. And Rask had a ton of opportunities to, to have a big save here and there, and he just didn't come up with it. And it's just maddening because, like you said, the Bruins were up 2-1 to in the first period. You go, okay, great, they battled back from a one nothing deficit. They're up 2-1. to Let's go, let's go. Here we go, Bruins, and then boom, two to two, uh, and the Bruins go into the locker room two to two at the end of the period. So you go, okay, great, we have a game now, and then boom, the Bruins come out and score. Brad, Mar- uh, I f- uh, was it Brad Marchand that scored the third goal? Oh, whatever. Who- I'm looking, I'm looking that up right now, actually. Yeah, um, I think I don't. Wow, I just had a little mind, a brain fight there about who scored the third goal because I had it written down in my notes and I can't seem to find it right here. But so the Bruins score to make. As you do the research there, the Bruins score to make it 3-2, to two, right? So you're going, all right, yes, right. here we go. And it was early into the third period. I mean, into the second period, excuse me. It was early, early, and you go, okay, here we go. The Bruins battle back again. They take the lead. And then the Sharks scored three unanswered goals. Three. It was 3-2. to two. The Sharks went into the – it was the third period at one point. It was 5-2. to two. And you're sitting there going, what is going on here? Four unanswered goals. It was four unanswered goals. Excuse me. I apologize there. Uh, that was just mind-blowing. This game was horrible from the start. The Bruins, second period was atrocious. They took so many it was, uh, stupid... It was, to get back to you, it was uh, it was Louis Erickson. Louis Erickson that scored to make it 3-2, to two, correct? Correct. I mean, the Sharks just score all those unanswered goals. The Bruins just look sloppy. Oh, this, if you watch this game as a Bruins fan, you know what I'm talking about because this game, I, it's hard to even talk about this game because it was so bad. And you know what? And I'm going to counter one of your points. You said that the Sharks played the better game. I'm going to actually disagree. I think the Bruins played the better game even though the Sharks percentages seemed to turn out even. I thought the Bruins had him. I thought the Bruins had him on their heels in the third period, but why they didn't show up in the second is beyond me. Yeah. The Bruins what, had that's him. What, that's what I'm saying. The second period was so bad. 
that it's just like, what are you doing? They scored that goal, and then it was all Sharks, where it was penalty here, penalty here. Oh, Sharks, you want to score? And look, the Sharks had a textbook power play goal. But they were passing around the Bruins' penalty kill like it was nothing. It was just embarrassing. And uh, yeah, so third period, the Bruins played well. They, but where was that fight from the beginning? You're down 5-3 to three at that point in the third period, where you're, you have to fight your ass off to tie the game. And it's like, why can't you play like that from the beginning and play it for 60 minutes? When the Bruins play a solid game for 60 minutes, they are a good team, but they just don't do that anymore. They don't. It's it's uninspiring hockey. And again, I'm going to put this argument, it comes down to who's really becoming the leader on that team and who's going to show that leadership, especially when they're in net. It's frustrating. Yeah, so that was just a very, not a good game to watch as a Bruins fan. That game was maddening. And like you said, there's the, there's the hide of the Bruins. They One game, they're really good. The next game, they're really bad. So going into Minnesota, I I was like, oh great, Minnesota's ten four and like three in this year. They in the Central Division, they make the playoffs every year. They have a really good team. And granted, they were out Zach Parise, who's a very good forward. But I was like, there's no chance the Bruins win this game, no chance. Then I realized that Gustafson was playing net, and I was like, oh maybe the Bruins will actually play better in front of Gustafson. And sure, you know what? They did. There was energy to this game. They they played inspired. Hayes and Martian took exception to. Martian getting hit, and they both were hitting the guy and pushing him in the corner. And, look, they, they got two penalties compared to Minnesota's one. But, look, there's the energy that, that Bruins fans are looking for. They were into the game. They were engaged. They, they, they took an exception to a hit. They were sticking up for their teammates. And then later on in the period, Bolesky fights and absolutely tunes the guy up. And it's like, yes, there we go. There's some passion. Where has that been all season long? And you know what? And I wanted to actually discuss this too, because when you and I both did the preview on last week's show, we both had this game as a scheduled loss. We were the ones that both said they were going to lose this game. Am I correct? I believe so, yes. Right? Yeah. And then, let me go even further into this. And then you have Bolesky get into that fight. And you one thing you're going to notice as we go through the, pre- the recap of this game, Bolesky showed up without being on the scoreboard. He was all over the ice. He was putting in the effort. And, you know, he... He won that fight easily, and he gave this team energy. Now, this was a good, hard-hitting game. This is what you get from a lot of Minnesota teams, and I wonder if it's because it's inspired by the legend of Herb Brooks. I heard Jack Edwards mention that during the game, and I said to myself, could be. But the Bruins played inspired, and then when you put Gustafson in that, like, it was almost like, okay, great, Gustafson's in that, we're going to win. Yeah, it was a very good game by the Bruins, and when the Bruins made it 3-1, to one, you go, okay, here we go, Bruins. Obviously, the power play is pretty much automatic now. I feel like every time you get a power play, they're going to score a goal. Okay, and that's what they do. The power play just scores goals at an unparalleled amount of times. It's craziness that the Bruins have a good power play. I'm like still baffled to this day that the Bruins have a good power play. But, yeah, Gustafson had another solid performance when it was 3-1, to one, and the Wild made it 3-2. to two. And me and you texted and were like, oh, here we go again. The Bruins are going to blow a two-goal lead. But they didn't, and that was good to see. They finally held on to a lead. They actually extended the lead. Erickson scored a hat-trick, to, and it was 4-2 Bruins. And it's like, nice, there we go. The Bruins had 3-1 lead. They, got a, they let Minnesota get to 3-2, and then boom, they scored again to make it 4-2. They didn't give Minnesota any life to get back on that game. And Quick question. That was, what's that? What, what, do you, what do you think was more impressive, the Erickson hat-trick or the Brad Martian wraparound goal? Oh, the Brad Martian wraparound goal. That was a thing of beauty. Oh, oh what a... I, what a play. That, 
So that was more, I, and I agree, because I think that the Martian wraparound goal was more impressive than the way that Erickson got that hat trick. But good for Erickson on the hat trick. Just that Martian goal was impressive. What a beauty. Yeah, what was, a way to start was, the game. That was a beauty of a goal. And, like, as we texted him, we're like, here we go again when it was 3-2. to two. I'm so happy the Bruins finally put a team away. That's what we've been waiting for all season long from the Bruins, is put a team away. Finally, they don't blow a lead. And that was just a really good game by the Bruins. You know what? I'll give Minnesota credit because that shot, that su- that Suter shot for that second goal that had Gustafson screened, what a shot and what a tipping. I mean, Gustafson was playing a great game. You couldn't even see the puck. You can't really blame Gustafson for a heck of a play. Like, really, the game should have been 4-1, to one, but what a play. Yeah, that's what you're going to get from Minnesota. Minnesota's a really good team. Obviously, they're going to keep fighting, keep battling. They've been in the playoff, Stanley Cup playoffs for past years now they have a lot of veteran guys they're looking to win now so obviously you know Minnesota wasn't going to back them but that was finally the game where the Bruins played with energy they played with passion they had a fight um Gustafson played solid in net they didn't give up a two-goal lead and it's just like imagine if the Bruins played like that all season long what their vibe would be if the Bruins played like that all season long if they had played like that all season long, they'd be up in the second spot behind Montreal still, but playing a better season. Yeah, I think so too. And it's just, and like as a Bruins fan, this is what makes me so frustrated in like talking and working with the Bruins team is just that they should be better. They should be playing like that every game. And look, I get it. Hockey's a tough game to play. Certain games, you're just not going to have your A game. But if you work hard and you want it, usually that wins out in hockey. And that's what we need to see the Bruins do more is play like they played against Minnesota. If they play like that, Bruins, if they play like that and lose, I won't bash them for losing. Because you'd be like, you know what? They played hard. They were there. They tried to win the game. It was a close game. The game could have won either way. But they've been playing so uninspired, like you said. And that's why it's so maddening as as do, as a talk show host and, and a fan. Like, at what point are some of these players going to start showing that emotion and the anger about losing, which is what you're not seeing? You see Rask, when he loses, and he's just like, yep, whatever, let's get to the next game. Where's the anger and the passion? The only player, I think, well, I shouldn't say the only player, but one of my one of my favorite I'm, players. And is, I'm not um, going to discuss the newer players, because the newer players are still new to the team. They're still getting used to the climate. But you should be seeing this from the older players. The players right, yeah, you're right. Here. But one, my favorite player right now on the Bruins is Matt Bolesky. And look, he doesn't score a ton of goals. He doesn't, he's not like the flashiest offensive player. But you know what? Every time Matt Bolesky is on the ice, he is competing his ass off for this team. He takes the body. He blocks shots. He shoots. He crashes the net. He just works his ass off. And look, like you said, he's a newer player on the team. He doesn't have a prominent role in the locker room yet. He's probably not speaking up and being a vocal leader. But if every Bruin played like Matt Bolesky played, this Bruins team would be really good. You know what? I actually agree with that completely. Now, I'm not sure Bolesky's my favorite player because I still really like Pasternak. And he, I know he's been injured, but Pasternak's been my favorite player since last year. But I love the energy that Bolesky's bringing to this team. And I think that that was a great pickup for Don Sweeney. And Bolesky can inspire these players. And maybe it is time Bolesky looked at this team and stepped up and started being a leader and started taking over. He started trying to get the inspiration from these players because the Somebody in this team can step up and do that. This team will play a lot better night in, night out. And it is so frustrating to see when a goaltender like Grass gives up five goals and says, whatever. Yeah, on the next exactly. Game. Exactly. So, like, 
so like we just said, the Jekyll and Hyde week with the Bruins continues. We'll get into next week a little bit later on in the show, but uh, last week we kind of uh, turned away from it for the week, and we're going to try and be doing the look into Providence, the juniors and college prospects that the Bruins have, maybe every week, once a month from here on out, because every, doing it every week is kind of tough because they don't play as much as the Bruins play. They don't play every other night, so it's kind of tough to do. So like, we're going to try and translate that, the, the Providence segment, the junior players and the college prospects the Bruins have, We'll try and change that up to you every other week or once a month, but yikes for the Providence Bruins. They are dead last in the division now. They are 3-8-3. Three, and three. This team, if you look at – I looked at their statistics earlier. A lot of minuses they have. There's a minus 11. There's a minus 7. Minus 7 again. The minus 4. Just not good stats by the Providence Bruins. They're – like I just said, they're dead last. And granted, they have a lot of stuff going on. They had Kokolchev's hurt. And he's been obviously their best player. The second best player for Toronto is with the Bruins now. And he just got dinged up. Austin Zarnick just came back from a minor injury. But uh, good old Matt Irwin. Remember the Bruins had signed Matt Irwin to be one of their depth defensemen? He's minus seven. Yeah, well, look at how he's shaping up. What a nice yeah, sign on that one. He's minus seven in 13 games. In Providence, he's in minus Providence. seven. In Providence, he's minus seven. Matt Irwin's a joke. This guy's a – get him off the Providence Bruins team. This guy shouldn't even be in the NHL. I mean, he shouldn't even have a pro contract. But, yeah, Providence Bruins are not looking too good. And they started off decently. They were hovering around 500. And a lot of stuff going on with the Providence Bruins. And it doesn't look like it's going to be a good year for the Providence. No, and I guess, you know, what, the, what, what bodes well in Providence doesn't bode well for Boston. You can put it that way. It's yeah, just... absolutely. It doesn't bode well. And um, I, sorry to cut you off there. I just want to touch on, I forgot to say, Zane McIntyre is 2-3-3. Three, and three. With a 3.25 goals against the average and an 8.76 save percentage, and Malcolm Subban is one four and one with a 3.81 goals against the average and an 8.47 save percentage. And Malcolm Subban is who I'm looking at and saying, "Buddy, pick up your slack. Like, what are you doing, Malcolm? You've been in the province for for two years now. You know what it's like to be a professional, and you're one four and one, and you have an 8.47 save percentage." And Zane McIntyre has a better goals against average and save percentage than you. Zane McIntyre is this is his first year in professional hockey, Malcolm. Zane hasn't just signed this year, Zane McIntyre did. And he's outplaying you. Come on, Malcolm. Like where where's the fight? Where's the passion? Like you just said. Malcolm, you've been in Providence before, you know what to expect. Pick it up. But I, this is again, I think this is expected. This is why we signed McIntyre. This is why we brought, this is why we brought McIntyre onto this team. You're not going to see Malcolm Subban come back to Boston. He's not going to. You're going to see McIntyre at some point come back to Boston. And if he keeps up these numbers, which I'm impressed with for it being his first year, you'll see him in training camp next year. You'll see him, if Gustafson's not on the Bruins, you'll see him as a backup next year. Yeah, I just Malcolm if not, if not the craziness of us of them getting rid of Rask, which will probably never happen, but I can dream, right? And then you could see something different happen, but... You'll Malcolm, see something change. Yeah, actually. Malcolm Subban just really bothers me. Like, you should be able to, you should have better numbers. You should be competing for the backup role in Boston and not the backup role in Providence. You were a first round pick, which I think was the worst first round pick in Peter Shirley's tenure, which obviously is saying a lot because he sucks at drafting. But so, yeah, Providence is not looking too good right now. They have a lot of stuff going on down there with injuries and call ups. And it just doesn't, and I think a lot of the best players that, 
the Bruins have in their system are in college hockey and junior hockey. I don't think you're going to look to Providence this year and say that that's a player the Bruins are going to have them on their team in a couple of years. I just don't see it, except maybe McIntyre, but Zarnik. But there's not a lot of players down there that you look to and say, that's the next guy that's going to be on the Bruins. No, you don't. You're, you're right. You're going to see a lot of it come from the other prospects that are in the other leagues, the OHL, the QMJHL. You're talking Zach Senershin and Jacob Zaborl. You have Jeremy Lawson who's played well. You've got all your players from college that you were looking at earlier, Heinen, Fitzgerald. Yes, yeah, so it's going to – speaking of those guys, um, you, you told me that you were uh, looking into a lot of the junior prospects that the Bruins have on the team. Uh, you, you said that Carlo and DeBrusque are still hurt. Which is obviously is not good for um, for them. You want them playing, you want them progressing. But you know what? If they're hurt, obviously you don't want them to push it too much because the Bruins want them for their own, obviously. But obviously those two guys are hurt. So uh, anything else that you caught your, that caught your attention while you were uh, looking at these junior prospects, Jason? Well, I know Boston signed Lawson last week, and Jeremy Lawson still managing to keep up the good numbers. I don't have him up at the moment because I was focused on Jacob Zaboro, and Jacob Zaboro is really turning into a solid defenseman. Yeah, I'm very excited about those two defensemen in the Bruins because uh, and Carlo. Those are three defensemen that the Bruins drafted that could be significant players on Boston. Obviously not anytime soon, a couple years down the road, but those seem like to be three very good picks by the Bruins, three defensemen that they could come up together. They could grow together in the system. They could play together in the system. And I think them three should be in Providence, hopefully by the end of this year. Get them time together, get them situated, get them accustomed to the pro-level game. So I'm very interested to see Zaboro, Carlo, and Lawson grow in the system. What you want, and this is, and you brought up a good point about bringing them up together. You want these players to develop that chemistry together and grow together. Because when they come up to Boston, if they do come up together, which I hope something like that happens, because that would be great for the team. Think about it. You're going to have players that are used to playing together that are comfortable, and they'll jump right into Boston and they'll help the team right away. Yeah, exactly. And um, obviously, Zach Shanishin is still scoring at a scoring goals like he usually does. Zach Shanishin, I think, is going to be a great player to keep an eye on for the Bruins. 11 goals, 5 assists, 16 points. But you know what? Again, this is where you got to get you got you to get rid of Claude Julian. He's got the plus minus of minus 6, but he can tell you he's an offensive player. Yeah, I think if he play, comes up in Claude Julien's system, he's going to be like not playing as much. I think he's going to be just like Pashnik, where Pashnik's been playing a lot more this year when he's been healthy and on the ice. But Claude Julien plays him sparingly because he knows his defense isn't good. And he called him out saying how Pashnik doesn't play. There's more to the game than just scoring goals. So I'm very I'm very worried about Tanishin in that way. So that's a good point that you just brought up there. No, exactly, and you know it's going to be interesting. I can, I'm, I'm going to predict the future, but we'll go into Julian later. But there's going to be changes in Boston by the time Sanishin gets here. There has to be. Yeah, there the should Bruins, be. The Bruins ownership's not going to deal with this lackluster team. Not if there's nothing being changed. People are smarter than that. Yeah, exactly. And um, just a quick note on some of the college guys in the Bruins system: um, Danton Heinen, forward from Denver. In 11 games, has 9 points. He's plus 3. He seems to be uh, picking up right where he left off last year. The Bruins' 4th round pick, who... I don't think 4th round picks, you really aren't expected to be that type of offensive player. But if he can keep performing like that, that's great news. Because a 4th round pick is... Usually, sometimes, they don't even make it to the NHL. Uh, the Bruins' second round pick, Forrest Baca Carlson at BU. He's played in 10 games with 11 points. He's the first line center for BU. 
I think he's a really good player. Keep your eye on him if you can get over to BU and you live around the Boston area. I would suggest you go go check him out. He's a solid young player. And as you check him out, you also can look at Matt Grislock, the defenseman there. Everyone's third-round pick a few years back. He plays the game very much like Tory Krug. He's very active in the offensive offensive zone. He has he quarterbacks the power play. He makes great passes. And I, even though he's an offensive defenseman, he he can obviously still play good solid defense. He's in five games. He has five points. He's the captain of BU. He's been the captain for two years. So that shows his leadership and his commitment to the team. That's a good sign for Bruins that Forrest Bucket Carson and Grizzly are both doing well over at Boston University. And the last guy I looked at briefly uh, was Ryan Fitzgerald over at BC. Fitzgerald was a third-round pick as well, or a fourth-round pick. I can't remember off the top of my head. But Fitzgerald has seven goals, 16 assists, and 13 points. BC is stacked this year, but Fitzgerald is still playing, which is good. He's putting up points. He's producing. So that looks good for the Bruins down the road that the players they have in college hockey are playing really well this year. And you brought up some decent points, and you were just mentioning, you know, if I had time to go to Boston and go to see a BU game, what I want to do is go see Hockey East at some point and see BU play BC and watch that kind of game. Fitz, Fitzgerald, Forsbacher, Carlson, and who was the other player? Uh, Matt Grizzlick, that's who you said. All playing yeah. against each other? That would be a great scouting trip. Yeah, absolutely it would be. And it's just a good – you know what? College Hockey is a good product to watch. College Hockey is – been getting really competitive the past few years. It's very, very good to watch. It's good to keep your eye on because, like you said, there's sometimes that you go to college hockey games and you go, oh, that player is really good. And you, and you look on the on the programs and you go, oh, wow, he's not drafted. The Bruins could maybe sign him because that's exactly what they did with Tory Krug. Tory Krug went undrafted out of Michigan State. The Bruins liked him, they scouted him, and they signed him to an entry-level contract without being drafted. So even though players aren't drafted by the Bruins or if they aren't drafted at all. It's good to keep your eye on them. Oh, I agree completely. And you can tell from the numbers that these guys are going to be good to look at. So I'm going to be keeping that in the back of my head as the hockey season really heats up, specifically going into March when all the tournaments really start. I know we had the big tournament at the TD Garden that happened in March. So I'll be keeping an eye out for that. Yeah, definitely keep an eye on that. Uh, college hockey is, but like I said, it's been expanding, which is good to see. Um, and also, I want to get to is the run the NHL, and we do this every week, which is good because obviously we love the Bruins, we're passionate about the Bruins, but it's good to check in on other teams, give uh, insight on the other teams, and obviously people that for the listeners. Sometimes listeners don't follow other teams as much as we do, so I like to give them stuff to look forward to and look at during the week besides just Bruins stuff. So uh, the big news coming out of this week was the the new NHL All Star format. And this is very interesting because the Bruins, I mean, not the Bruins, the NHL just decided to do three-on-three overtime. And now it seems like the NHL is really liking this three-on-three stuff because now for the All-Star game, instead of doing the traditional game of periods and five-on-five, now they're going to do three-on-three mini-games. And it's going to be by division, which I like the, the by division part. I think that's great where you have the Atlantic division, the Metropolitan Division, Central and Pacific, and they're all going to be battling each other. And I think personally that's great. And the only thing I'm worried about, though, is that it's only nine players, six forwards, three defensemen, and two goalies, so 11 players, excuse me, but nine players skating out. And I'm worried that the players are not going to compete and try because it's the All-Star game. The All-Star game, usually, obviously, there's no checking. There's no really competitiveness to the game. It's more there for fun. 
people usually the players usually drink during it and have a good time. Obviously, they, they don't show them drinking, but we know they are. Ovechkin was absolutely hammered at the at the fantasy draft last year. So, <laughs> so, oh. so I'm very interested to see how this plays out and how it's going to work. Is the coach of the leading division will pick the players. So obviously, it would be. Michelle Therrien from the Montreal if the All-Star game started today. But he'll probably still be the coach anyways when the All-Star game happens because Montreal has been playing great. But it's very interesting that NHL decided to do this. I like the whole division aspect part of it, but I did think the three-on-three, three, I don't think the players are going to be trying trying their hardest. You know what? You brought up a good point. I'm going to say I was actually very surprised about this. I didn't hear anything about it until it just came out. I was not expecting it. But now when you think about it, it could be entertaining. That's the issue with this is that, you know, players don't really want to play in it. They're not that interested. They don't want to risk getting injured for a game that means nothing. But I know what the NHL is trying to do. They're trying to draw fans, and they're trying to get these players to play a little bit harder. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays. But you've already heard the chirping from some of the players. It's really I, – I, I'm going to be surprised if it works out. Yeah, because a lot of players don't even want to play the three-on-three overtime. Never mind three-on-three all-star games. So, so it could be. I mean, the good thing is it's only a one-year deal as of right now. So I think they're going to look at it this year in Nashville, see how it goes, and if it doesn't go that well, they'll try and do something different next year. But I mean, at this point, they're almost just better off doing an all-star skills competition and calling that the all-star game. Because I'm sure the players have more fun in that anyway. Yeah, I mean, I feel like people don't even really watch the All-Star game anyways. Like, obviously I tuned in last year, but, like, you're not really watching it because you know what's happening. Like, there, it's like it's like a men's league game with where the players are just going up there and, like, hanging out and casually skating. And I agree. I mean, you see, you're seeing it in a lot of these sports these days, the NBA, the NFL specifically with the Pro Bowl, the way they've tried to change that. The players aren't that interested in that. Yeah, you're right. So, um... So obviously that's gonna be interesting to keep your eye on that for the All Star game. It's definitely happening. It's been reported by TSN by the NHL that will probably that's definitely gonna be, be the All Star game this year. So if you already hate it, fans, I get it, but it only could be for the, just this year. Uh, nextly, I want to get to is um, two two players that obviously are very very skilled and very very good for the game of hockey. Alexander Ovechkin, who is an absolute bull, who has been scoring 40 to 50 goals every season since he's been in the NHL. He's now become the all-time Russian leading scorer. And I think that's great because the NHL is becoming global. countries, And him to become the leading scorer in Russia is just going to inspire the younger players to keep playing the game. And I agree. You know, we've, we've been talking about Ovechkin for the last three weeks now, the three of the first five shows, which is very awesome to see that Ovechkin's really made a name for himself still. But this is what you expect. And we, we're going to make this comparison forever because Ovechkin, Crosby, same draft year. But you're not hearing a thing from Crosby lately. But all you're hearing is Ovechkin, Ovechkin, Ovechkin. And what does that say about Ovechkin? Yeah, Crosby's been really struggling this year. Only has three goals. Um, but yeah, Ovechkin's been, we've been talking about Ovechkin almost every week now. But you know what? That's good because I like Ovechkin. I can watch Ovechkin play anytime, anywhere. I think he's great for the NHL. He, he has a cannon of a shot. He shoots the puck probably <laughs> harder than anyone I've seen and I'm very interested to see if he would ever take part in the hardest shot competition because I think his shot is, unless he already has, and I must have missed it, but he shoots the puck so hard. And he can score from anywhere, on his knees, on his back, on his stomach, you name it, he'll find a way to score. 
Exactly. So that's good for Ovechkin. Obviously, we want to give him a quick shout out because that's very it's a very good um, significant thing to accomplish. Uh, he passed Sergei Fedorov, who was a very good Detroit Red Wing, and and um, good for Ovechkin. You know, he just continues to keep improving and keep. Okay, and I think I'm um, going to another different different skilled player in the NHL is Patrick Kane. He has a 15 game point streak, and just saying that alone is pretty impressive. He's been absolutely crushing it this year. He, I think he he leads the league in goals and points now. He's just playing phenomenal. And I think once I think you brought this up, me texting earlier before the show. You said once the Chargers were dropped, he's been only worried about hockey. You haven't really heard much about him in the news now. He's just playing hockey, doing what he loves, and just putting up points. And no, you're right. You know what? We were talking this pre-show. Uh, actually, we were still on Skype when we were talking about this. He has not drawn the attention to himself, and as many people were going to sit there while these charges, well, uh, while these supposed charges were coming out and accusing him. I think Chicago made a great move keeping him in because there was no proof, and Chicago really believed that. Now I think the Chicago Blackhawks look like a really, really smart team, and you can tell that their management is smart too, and nobody should question that. Yeah, so obviously that's pretty impressive, Patrick Gain. 15-game points. And now I want to get to uh, one of the young guns, a little local, local native, local mass native, Noah Hannafin, scoring his first NHL goal for the Carolina Hurricanes. Played at Boston College last year. Local kid, Mass kid. Obviously, you want to have a particular interest in him. I like to see Mass kids do well, being from Massachusetts myself. So, Noah Hannafin scoring his first goal in the NHL, that's going to be a great feeling. And it was a nice goal, too. What a good shot. It was a fast shot. I saw the clip from that one. I was very impressed. I was very happy for him. It was good to see him get in the NHL and score. Yeah, it was definitely good for him. And now on the negative side of the around the NHL news part, uh, Marco Scandella of the Minnesota Wild defenseman asked to leave the team for a little while and when someone asks to leave the team you know it's for like something major people don't just get up and leave the NHL team because that's their job that's what they like to do playing hockey is their passion but obviously he left to join his sick father his father's not doing that well and when that means he doesn't have a long, long time to live so my thoughts and prayers are with the Scandella family I hope everything works out there but you never like to hear a story like that. Nope, and you know what? This is actually news to me. I saw it on our agenda when we started today, and no guy definitely gave him credit for saying, hey, I have to go. I'm going to spend time with my family because this is a very important time. This is more important in the game. And that's the same thing with our other piece of news with Travis Hamannick, which I read that article thoroughly about Hamannick asking to be traded. And I'm going to speak on this because and when I read the article, you could see the amount of respect that Hamnick has for the Islanders organization. He's going to be patient with it, and he's going to hope that the Islanders get the right deal. He's asking to go back and be with his family. And Hamnick is still playing hard, even though he's still on the Islanders. So it's a real oh, yeah. big he, he respect. Play, he played thing. great last night. He was all over the ice against Montreal. He um, had, had a point. He had seven shots on net. So Hamnick's still playing hard. But it's kind of it's kind of put the Islanders in a tough spot because Hamnick is a really good defenseman. And when you look, talk about the Islanders, you always talk about Boychuk and Letty, and rightfully so. But Hamannick's the next guy, right right behind those two. He plays really well. He's still young. And he wants to be traded out west to be closer to his family. And I understand that. I get it. It's personal reasons. He, they didn't get into any specifics of what was going on, like Scandella with his father. But there's obviously a reason he wants to go out west. And that's just tough on the Islanders because you never want to part ways with a young defenseman who's just growing and continuing to play well. But the Islanders respect him, and I respect that. He's being honest. He's being patient, like you said. 
and it's just tough news. Those those are, those are two tough stories around the NHL. That two players that are having personal stuff that they need to get taken care of to play the game. It is tough, and it's it's very important to pay attention and note that Hamnick's being a good sport about it. He's being respectful of the organization. He's making sure that the organization does what's right for them, too. And he's not just saying, you know, get rid of me. I'm not going to play hard. I want to go where I want to go too bad. And you have to respect Hamnick and the organization for doing this together and working together to respect each other. And you don't say that too often. No, you don't. And I just want to say that sometimes, as fans, we don't even look at the human aspect of these players because we idolize them as players and we have to realize hey they have families and personal lives too so thoughts and prayers for both of them hope everything works out for them so um obviously a lot of positive and negatives around the nhl this week but that's what happens when you play professional sports so so obviously the week ahead looking at the week ahead starting tonight the bruins are hosting the toronto maple leafs at home at the td garden before we jump to our week ahead, Mike, I wanted to uh, talk about one more thing real quick. Oh, yes. Go ahead, please. Um, behind the B era the last week, we didn't get a chance to get to it on last show. But I was watching Felger and Mazigan on Thursday towards the end of the show. They had a fan call in and bring up a topic about behind the B and how behind the B doesn't really go behind the scenes anymore. And Mike Felger brought up that point that since the Sagan trade, it seems like behind the B is trying to make the Bruins management look good. And it's not really showing the honest side of it. And yes, the show is very interesting, but there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah, definitely. So uh, I don't usually watch Brown the Bee, but I obviously I've tuned in a couple episodes here and there. Yeah, they don't really show any of the behind-the-scenes aspects really at all. So I've I've kind of really started tuning that show out. It's more for like a fan's insight to just what's going on with like the team. Like it's like pretty much news to me when you see highlights of the Bruins game after the game. So that's what it looks like to me, but. Getting back to the look ahead, the Bruins host the Toronto Maple Leafs tonight at TD Garden. The Bruins actually made significant trades with Toronto in the past for Sagan and Hamilton and Tuka Rask. So Tuka Rask, who who should get a win tonight because Toronto sucks. They are horrible. They got Mike Babcock from Detroit, but he knew it was going to be a rebuild. Toronto was rebuilding. They traded Phil Kessel. They don't have the only good player they have is James Van Riemsdyk. And he has to do it by himself because he has no one to get him the puck anymore because now Castle's gone. The Maple Leafs are terrible. The Bruins should not lose this game. They put Toronto even played last night against Carolina. And obviously, whether they played in Carolina or whether they played in Toronto, they still have to travel to this game tonight to Boston. The Bruins should not lose this game. Should not lose this game. And then again, I almost wonder. If, I I I hope that they keep Gus in net for this game. I mean, that, that's, that'll be interesting to see. I just don't think it's going to happen. I think Tuberask will play. Gustin play It's not going to happen. Let's think logically here. It's not going to happen. We can hope for all we want, but it's not going to happen. And if Boston loses this game, it will be a riot in Boston. Fans will be saying, put Gus in. Rask, should, if Rask loses this game, he deserves to lose his job. He should not lose this game. Oh, man. If they lose this game, I'll, I'll go nuts. Because, look, I get it. It's the NHL. Anything can happen. But you're coming off a great win against Minnesota. You're playing a team that's inferior to you if you just play your game. And granted, that obviously has been difficult for the Bruins to do since they don't know how to play their game for two games in a row. Because you know what? They have not. They're the only. I think they're one of the only teams to not have back-to-back wins at home, which is embarrassing. They're, they which they should easily do because the Bruins should be a good home team. They have been a good home team in the past. They need this game. Win this game. 
You're playing a division rival, and they're not as good as you. You should win. You should win both these games together. Yes, they're actually playing Mon- Toronto again, and Toronto on Monday, I believe, right? I believe you are correct. I believe that's Monday. I'm looking at the schedule right now. It is Monday at 7.30. Monday. So there should be two wins for the Bruins to get back on track. Start a three-game winning streak because Toronto is not that not that good. I think Gustin should play one of these two games. I think he should play Monday's game. Give Tukarask a break. Like you said, If even if he plays bad tonight, the Bruins should still win. The Bruins should not lose to Toronto. So Toronto's not been playing well, like we said. They played last night. This game should be a win. Monday's game should be a win. Toronto's in the basement of the NHL where they belong. Oh, I'm just—I'm I'm already thinking about if the Bruins lose, my mind's gonna explode. You know, with the Bruins—it's there's not really much to say about if the Bruins lose these lose any of these next three games that they're playing because they have they're both, all three of them are winnable games. Yeah, the games that they—they're games that they should win, not because they're good teams, but because Bruins better. Than they are, they're better right, than yes, Toronto. They, they're better than Detroit. They can't lose these games. These are games that you can't lose. If you want to move up in the standings, so you have to play hard against these teams. These are the games that you should win. It's like, what does it say about your hockey team if you lose? Yeah, you should. You, like you said, you should. The Bruins are not in the playoff picture right now. They're on. They're a bubble team. They're on the edge of the playoffs. Are they going to make it? Are they going to not make it? These are the two games against Toronto you should have. In Detroit, the Bruins should have as well. Detroit's okay; they're a good, they're an, they're a good team. But the Bruins should be able to empower and enforce their role like they did the other day against Detroit and win the game. These next three games are really make or break for this team. You're talking about they, they have to win all three. It's make or break. You can't lose one of them and still look good. Not, you can't. No, the only game, got, the only game I would be, I wouldn't be as mad if they lost would be Detroit. Because Detroit still has some skilled players. Detroit knows how to play the game. Detroit made the playoffs last year. They know they're going to be a bubble team just like the Bruins this year. I won't be as mad, but they should still win. They should beat them. If you want to make we the playoffs. Have goal t- we have the better goaltender than Detroit. Now, goaltender needs to play like a $8 million goaltender. And then the last we game. We should win that game against Detroit. Yeah, so those should be those are three winnable games like we just discussed. Toronto at home, Toronto on the road at Detroit. The Bruins have an opportunity to win all four-game road trip because the toughest game this week is Friday after Thanksgiving against the New York Rangers at home. The Rangers have been playing really well. Skilled. They have Lundqvist, who obviously is one of the top goalies in the NHL. The Rangers made it to the Stanley Cup Finals two years ago. They made it to the Conference Finals last year. This team is good. The Rangers are looking to win now. Um, this is going to be Watch. It's obviously a matinee. The Bruins always have matinees after Thanksgiving. That's going to be a fun game to watch. That's the game I'm, I'm most looking forward to because I want to see how the Bruins play and stack up against the Rangers. That game is the game that the Bruins could lose. But you know what? I want to see if the Bruins come out and play and compete and see how they do in that game before I make a judgment on this team long long term. Like you said, this you know, is a make They have games. I watched the Bruins play on Black Friday two years ago, New York Rangers, and the Bruins won that game. So I still think that the Bruins, although the Rangers have gotten better over the last two years, it's going to be a good game to watch. Yeah, that's the game I'm most looking forward to. I'm hoping the Bruins go 3-1 and one in this four-game stretch because going 4-0 and in the NHL is difficult. 
Sometimes stuff happens where you slip up or you play well, you just can't score. But the Bruins should be three and one. We should be talking next next week's episode that the Bruins went three and one this week. We'll be talking about it, but you're not gonna see me get excited over going three and one against three easy teams against two easy teams and one team that's supposed to be the scheduled loss. All right, what if what if they go three and one and they lose to the Rangers? I'm okay with that. I'm not gonna get excited about it, but that's what it's supposed to be. That's what's expected. Right, I- I will be excited if they go 3-1. With the way this team has played this year, where they're game on, game off, game on, game off. If the Bruins go 3-1, you know what? I'll be happy because, you know what? That means they put together games in a row, a stretch of games where they're playing better and they're competing hard and they don't have the one game on, one game off thing. So if the Bruins can go 3-1 in this stretch, I'll be okay with it. I'll be happy. Maybe I'm a little bit different I'll, than you, but that's, that's how ta- I feel. I'll take it, but I'm not going to sit back and say, oh, God, guys, the Bruins are going to be in the playoffs. Come no, I'm not going. That, I'm not going that far. But I'm I won't just, go that far. No, neither will I. But I'm just saying that will at least show me something that this team cares and will compete. And maybe have turned, maybe have turned the corner to be better in the long run. I'm not going to think that far ahead. But from looking at the next two weeks of the schedule, they have several chances at just going six and one. We'll see. We'll All see. All right. So that concludes ep- episode five of Bruins Beat. Uh, be sure to follow myself on Twitter at MikeSetta22 and Jason at JasonBuckley91 for all Bruins-related news, NHL news. Uh, also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Bruins underscore Beat. Like us on Facebook. I hope everyone has a great and safe Thanksgiving. U.S. Thanksgiving this week. I hope everyone has a, a great Thanksgiving with their family. And Jason, I know you want to like to talk about the, the app and stuff to download as well. Yes, we definitely look up the CLNS Radio app and download that and look us up on iTunes, like us and rate us. I still am trying to find a way to get an email address set up so that I can have the fans send me send us emails where we can check it and get them on the show. That's going to be a topic worked on over the next couple of weeks, and hopefully I'll be able to start that soon. Absolutely. So Jason and I will keep posted on that. Uh, we'll talk to everyone next week. Hope you have, a, like I said, a great and safe Thanksgiving. Yes, and happy Thanksgiving to everybody. We'll see you next week.